0: Chapter One of the Bothi of Toper Nafuyesich. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bothy of Topher by Arthur Clough. Note: The reader is warned to expect every kind of irregularity in these modern hexameters, spondaic lines, so called. Are almost the rule and word will often require to be transposed by the voice from the end of one line to the beginning of the next my long vacation pupils will i hope allow me to inscribe this trifle to them and will not i trust be displeased if in a fiction purely fiction they are here and there reminded of the times we enjoyed together. Chapter One It was afternoon, and the sports were all but over. Long had the stone been put, tree cast, and thrown the hammer. Up the perpendicular hill, Sir Hector so called it, eight stout shepherds and gillies had run too wondrous quickly. Run to the course on the level had been. The leaping was over. Last in the show of dress, a novelty recently added. Noble ladies, their prizes adjudged for costume that was perfect. Turning the clansmen about, who stood with upraised elbows, bowing their eyeglass brows and fingering kilt and sporran. It was four of the clock, and the sports were all but over. Therefore, the Oxford party went off to adorn for the dinner. Be recorded in song who was first last in dressing hope was the first black tied white waistcoated simple for the postman made out he was a son to the earl of allay as indeed he was to the younger brother the colonel treated him therefore with special respect doffed bonnet and ever called him his honour his honour he therefore was at the cottage always his honour at least sometimes the viscount of elay hope was first his honour and next to his honour the tutor still more plain the tutor the grave man nicknamed adam white-tied clerical silent with antique square-cut waistcoat formal unchanged of black cloth but with sense and feeling beneath it skillful in ethics and logic in Pinder and Poets Unrivaled. Shady in Latin, said Lindsay, but topping in plays in Aldrich. Somewhat more splendid in dress, in a waistcoat work of a lady. Lindsay succeeded. The lively, the cheery, cigar loving Lindsay. Lindsay the ready of speech, the piper, the dialectician. This is his title from Adam, because of the words he invented who in three weeks had created a dialect new for the party. Master in all that was new, whatever was recherché and racy, master of newest inventions, and ready to of newer. This was his title from Adam, but mostly they called him the Piper. Lindsay succeeded, the lively, the cheery, cigar-loving Lindsay. Hewson and Hobbs were down at the Mattoon, bathing, of course, too. Arthur Audley, the bather, par excellence, glory of the headers. Arthur, they called him, for love and for euphony, so they were bathing. There, where in the morning was custom, where over a ledge of granite, into a granite basin, descended the amber torrent, there they were bathing and dressing. It was but a step from the cottage. Only the road and larches, the ruinous millstead between, Hewson and Hobbs followed quick upon Adam. On them followed Arthur. Airily descended the last, splendid as God of Olympus. Blue, half doubtably blue, was the coat that had white silk facings, waistcoat blue, coral buttoned, the white tie finely adjusted, coral moreover the studs on a shirt as of crochet of women. When, for ten minutes already, the four-wheel had stood at the gateway, he, like a god, came leaving his ample Olympian chamber. In the four-wheel they drove to the place of the clansmen's meeting. So in the four-wheel they came, and Donald the innkeeper showed them up to the barn where the dinner should be. Four tables were in it, two at the top and the bottom, "'a little upraised from the level. "'These for the chairman and croupier, "'and gentry fit to be with them, two lengthways, "'in the midst for keeper and gilly and peasant. "'Here were clansmen, "'many in kilt and bonnet assembled, "'keepers a dozen at least, "'the marquis targeted gillies, "'pipers five or six, "'among them the young one, "'the drunkard, "'many with silver brooches, and some of those brilliant crystals, found amid granite dust on the frosty scalp of the Cairn Gorm, but with snuff-boxes all, and all their boxes using. Here too were Catholic priests and established ministers standing, one to say grace before, the other after the dinner. The Catholic priest, for many still clung to the ancient worship, and Sir Hector's father himself, HAD BUILT THEM A CHAPEL. SO STOOD THE PRIEST AND MINISTER, NEAR TO EACH OTHER BUT SILENT, ONE TO SAY GRACE BEFORE, THE OTHER AFTER THE DINNER. HITHER ANON, TOO CAME THE SHREWD, ever ciphering FACTOR. HITHER ANON, THE attaché, THE GUARDSMEN, MUTE AND STATELY. HITHER FROM LODGE AND BOTHY, AND ALL THE ADJOINING SHOOTINGS. MEMBERS OF PARLIAMENT, MANY forgetful of votes in blue-books here amid heathery hills upon beast and bird of the forest venting the murderous spleen of the endless railway committee hither the marquise of air and all earl and copier and at their side amid murmurs of welcome long looked for himself too eager the gray but boy-hearted sir hector the chief and the chairman. Then the dinner was served, and the minister asked for a blessing. And to the viands before them, with knife, and with fork, they beset them. Venison, the red and the row, with mutton and grouse succeeding. Such was the feast, with whisky of course, and at the top and bottom small decanters of sherry, not over choice, for the gentry. So too the viands before them with laughter and chat they beset them, and when on the flesh, and on fowl they had appetite duly been sated. Up rose the Catholic priest, and returned God thanks for the dinner. Then on all the tables were set black bottles of well-mixed toddy, and with the bottles and glasses before them they sat digesting, talking and enjoying, but chiefly awaiting the toasts and speeches spare me o mighty remembrance for words to the task were unequal spare me o mistress of song nor bid me recount minutely all that was said and done o'er the well-mixed tempting toddy bid me not to show in detail grimace and gesture painting how healths proposed and drunk with all the honors glassets and bonnets waving and three times three thrice over queen and prince, and army, and landlords all, and keepers. Bid me not grammar define. repeat, from grammar to fires. Long construction strange, and plus quam thy Tell how a sudden torrent of time of speed in the mountain hurries six ways at once, and takes at last to the roughest, or the practised rider at Astley's or Franconi's skilfully, boldly bestrides many steeds at once in the gallop, crossing from this to that, with one leg here, one leg yonder, so less skillful, but equally bold, and wild as the torrent, hurried the lively goodwill, and garrulous tale of Sir Hector. Left to oblivion be it, the memory, faithful as ever. How the noble Corpier would wind up with his word with a whistle. How the marquise of Ayer, with quaint gesticulation, floundering through the game and mess room recollections, gossip of neighboring forest, praise of targeted gillies, anticipation of royal visit, skits at pedestrians, swore he would never abandon his country nor give up deer-stalking. How, too, more brief and plainer in spite of Gaelic accent, Highland peasants gave courteous answer to flattering nobles. Two orations alone the memorial song will render. For at the banquet's close spake thus the lively Sir Hector, Somewhat husky, with praises exuberant, often repeated, Pleasant to him and to them of the gallant Highland soldiers, Whom he erst led in the fight, Something husky, but cheery, though weary. Up to them rose and spoke, the grey but gladsome chieftain. Fill up your glasses once more, my friends, with all the honors. There is a toast which I forget, which our gallant Highland homes have, always welcome stranger. I may say delighted to see, fine young men at my table, my friends, are you ready? The strangers. Gentlemen. "'I drink your healths, and I wish you with all the honors.' "'So we said, and the cheers ensued, and all the honors. "'All our collegians were bowed to, the attaché detecting his honor. "'The guardsmen moved to Arthur, the marquise saddling to Airely. Well, while the little drunken Piper came across to shake hands with Lindsay. "'But while well, the healths were being drunk,' was much tribulation and trouble. Nodding and beckoning across, observed of Attaché and the guardsmen, Adam wouldn't speak. Indeed, it was known he couldn't. Hewson could. And would if they wished? Philip Hewson, the poet. Hewson, the radical, hot, hating lords and scorning ladies. Silent mostly, but often reviling in fire and fury. Feudal tenures, "'mercantile lords, competition and bishops, "'liveries, armorial bearings, "'amongst other things, the game laws. "'He could speak, and was asked to by Adam, "'but Lindsay aloud cried, "Whisky hot in his brain. "'Confound it, no! Not Hewson! he cocksure to bring in his eternal political humbug? "'However, so it must be, "'and after due pause of silence.' Waving his hand to Lizzie, and smiling queerly to Adam, up to them spoke, and rose, the poet and radical Hewson. "'I am, I think, perhaps the most perfect stranger present. I have not two or three of my friends, in my veins some tincture. Some few ounces of Scottish blood know nothing like it. I am therefore perhaps the fittest to answer and thank you. So I thank you, sir.' for myself and for my companions, heartily thank you all for this unexpected greeting. All the more welcome is showing you do not account us intruders. Are you not unwilling to see the north and south foregather? And surely seldom have Scotch and English more joyously mingled, scarcely with warmer hearts, clear sense of mutual manhood, even in tourney and foray and fray, and regular battle where the life and the strength come out in the tug and tussle scarcely where man confronted man and soul clasped soul close as the bodies and interwining limbs of athletic wrestlers when for the final bout our day's two champions mated in the grand old times of bows and bills and claymores at the old flood and field banna Colden, and he paused for a moment for breath and because of cheering. We are better friends, I fancy, for that old fighting. Better friends inasmuch as we know each other better. We can now shake hands without, without subterfuge or shuffling. On this passage followed a great tornado of cheering. Tables were wrapped. Feet stamped, a glass or two got broken. He, ere the cheers had died wholly away, and while they were stamping, added with a smile and an altered voice his sarcastic conclusion. Yet I myself have little claim to this honor of having my health drunk, for I am not a gamekeeper, I think, nor a game preserver. So he said, and sat down, but his satire was not taken. Only the men, who were all on their legs as concerned in the thinking, were a trifle confused, but mostly stared without laughing. Lindsay alone, close facing the chair, shook his fist at the speaker. Only a liberal member, away at the end of the table, started remembering sadly the chance of a coming election. Only the attache sneered to the guardsman who twirled his mustachio only the marquise faced round but not quite clear of the meaning joined with the joyous sir Hector who lustily beat it on the table and soon after the chairman arose and the feast was over now should the barn be cleared and forthwith adorning for the dancing and our friends retiring to wait for this consummation, were, as they stood in the doorway uncertain, debating together, by the good chieftain so joyous, invited hard by to the castle. But as the doorway they quitted, a thin man, clad as the Saxon. Trouser and cap and jacket of homespun blue, hand-woven, singled out, and said with determined accent to Hewson, resting his hand on his shoulder, while each with eyes dilating, firmly scanned each. Young man, if ye pass through Braes see by the latch side ye come to the bathy of Toper End of chapter 1